You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Job chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. Eliphaz concludes Job has sinned. After a week of suffering and grieving in silence, Job has finally lamented that he was even born. He cursed the day of his birth, wondered why he couldn't have been stillborn, and hoped that he could die even now. He has spoken in the presence of his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and likely a fourth, Elihu. They are shocked by his words and aim to set him straight. The series of rebukes, disguised as words of wisdom and comfort, begin. Eliphaz is the first, probably because he is the eldest of the three, and they very much respected decorum and age, at least in theory. He also speaks the most out of the three comforters, and he is the one rebuked by God as their representative at the end of the book, which again suggests he is the eldest. He first asks Job respectfully if he could speak a word to him, because he's finding it hard to hold himself back. He recognizes that Job has been a source of wisdom and instruction to many, and that he has strengthened the weak. His words of wisdom have stabilized those who were stumbling, and he has supported those who felt they couldn't go on. But Eliphaz is disappointed in Job, because now that he's on the receiving end of hardship, he can't bear it. He is weary and troubled. His reverence and integrity should have been his confidence and his hope, but instead he's overwhelmed. This is trivializing Job's suffering. Then we see what he really thinks of Job and his worldview, that God rewards people in this life on the basis of their works. Job must have done something horrible for him to be struck with not only calamity, but physical illness as well. He sees no place in God's universe for innocent suffering. He says, Consider now, who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. He is basically saying that evidence is everywhere that you reap what you sow, and since you are reaping divine judgment, you must have sown iniquity. To further illustrate this, Eliphaz gave an example of a lion, who is often destroyed in spite of its great strength. And there is a grain of truth in all of Job's speeches to his friends. From his friends. We do reap what we sow in the sense that there is a day of judgment and accounting. In Galatians 6, 7-9, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But it doesn't always happen in this life. Sometimes wicked men prosper and live long. The psalmist addresses this in Psalm 73. And not everything we reap in this life is a direct result of our sin or a curse from God. An example of this was the man born blind whom Jesus healed and Paul's thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 Then to add weight to his opinion, he claims divine revelation through a vision in the night. It terrified him and made the hair on his body stand on end. 
He couldn't make out the appearance of the spirit, but he heard a voice. It said, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be pure, more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth? Again, there is much truth in what he says. The rhetorical questions no one would argue against. Of course man can't be more righteous or pure than God who made him. Keep an eye out for other references to God as creator as we read through scripture. It's everywhere, not just in Genesis chapter 1. This is one example where God is called man's maker. Then there is the argument from lesser to greater, from angels to men. If God judges angels who sinned, condemning them to exist um, as demons until they are chained forever in hell, then why would he trust men? He describes people as those who dwell in houses of clay and whose foundation is in the dust. This refers back to the creation of Adam from the clay, who will return to dust when he dies, and is buried in the ground from which he came. 2 Corinthians 4.7 speaks of our bodies in this way. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So he says they die suddenly, as does their wisdom and excellence. It doesn't prevent their death, nor does it follow them to the grave. Since even angels are judged, people should soberly consider that they may sin with impunity in this life, but their doom is as certain as the fallen angels and will soon be here. Since it is a given fact that neither men nor angels are pure in God's sight, and Job is a man, then in spite of his apparently virtuous life, he must be harboring some secret sin in his life that has attracted the wrath of God. What must it have been like for Job to hear this from someone he was expecting comfort from? Why could Eliphaz not have put an arm around him and said, instead said, Job, I have no idea how you're feeling or what you've suffered or why, but I'm here for you. Instead, Job gets kicked when he's down. You must have done something to deserve this. We mustn't be impatient with people who have doubts and confusion when they are suffering. This is not a sign of hypocrisy, but of the weakness of our humanity. Satan had set out to prove Job to be a hypocrite, and now his friends concluded he must be one because he was so afflicted and he dared complain about it. Also, as a comforter or counselor, we must always be careful not to presume to know why God acts in a certain way, or to anticipate how he will act every time, or to assume to speak for him. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ are an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Eliphaz was shocked that Job spoke so harshly. We mustn't be surprised at the thoughts and feelings of someone who is suffering and must not tell them that they are wrong for feeling or thinking that way. God is the only one who truly knows. 
Eliphaz's counsel was cruelty disguised as comfort. We should not kick someone when they're down. Leave it to the Holy Spirit and their own conscience to convict them of any sin. Speak kindly, aware that you may also be tested in a similar manner and may also stumble. Eliphaz appealed to a spiritual experience to add weight to his words. Be discerning because Satan used scripture wrongly to tempt Jesus to sin, and he can disguise himself as an angel of light. Many false teachers twist scripture to the detriment of themselves and others. Eliphaz was so sure he knew why God had brought this suffering on Job based on his observations and divine revelation and was not afraid to speak his mind. We must not presume to know the mysteries of God's providence in our lives or the lives of others, but as Jesus said, if you want him if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author PH Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Job chapter 5. May God bless the study of his word.